0: Hi everyone! I'm going to do my little plug at the very beginning, because my dear friend Sarah wrote this to me, and I would like to share it with you all verbatim. I love all your episodes, but this tribute to Denise Dival is just so extraordinary. You are not only entertaining us, enlightening us, and inspiring us, you are making a treasure trove of archives with all of your amazing research and execution for generations of singers to come. You should be given an award for this humongous effort, and I just upped my Patreon membership and hope others will follow suit. As patrons, there is an opportunity to pay it forward to young singers who will have your tutelage and guidance in choosing repertoire and learning about the lives and souls of these delicious artists. In short, ton travail est simplement incroyable Felicitations! Well, I don't have anything to add. Modesty prevents me from saying anything further. Remember, these are not my words. (laughs) If you want to follow Sarah's lead, please go to patreon.com slash countermelody, and you too can become a supporter. And now, oh, have I got something special for you this week. Welcome to Counter Melody, the podcast on great singers and great singing. Each week, you will encounter me, Daniel Gundlach, as your host, guiding you along a magical route that will bring us closer to the voices of those singers that most enchant and transform us, no matter what else is going on in the world out there. Thank you for joining me on that path. And to now this week's episode
1: The of counter melody emphasis on the count. <laughs>
0: that's enough of that. But I do want to welcome you to this special episode, which is indeed called The Haunted Opera House. I should add that this is the 20th century edition of The Haunted Opera House, and as such, it's the first in my episodes that are going to be focused on 20th century opera. We're going to cover the gamut this week, and just one last little bit about Patreon. I had so much material that fit this category that I am actually producing a second episode, which will be posted this weekend for my Patreon supporters. So do check that out, because it has a lot of material that just didn't fit into this week's main episode. What we just heard was the late, great African-American mezzo-soprano Gwendolyn Killebrew doing the Jejibaba's incantation, which is the Czech equivalent of Aberdeen. Cadabra. This is the spell that she casts on Rusalka in Dvořák's opera of the same title, as Rusalka has begged her to turn her into a human rather than a water nymph. We all know this doesn't turn out well. This was a live performance from Sreveningen. I love saying that. Sreveningen <laughs> in the Netherlands. And the title role in this performance was sung by Teresa Stratus, whom we will hear at the end of the episode. So don't go anywhere. But till we get there, I'm going to present to you a wide range of creepy, sometimes supernatural operas. Many of them feature the devil, a couple of them feature exorcisms, some of them feature ghosts, and some of them, like the one we just heard, feature witches. Let us now turn to the classic operatic ghost story, Benjamin Britten's Turn of the Screw, which of course is based on Henry James's novella of the same title. This is a scene toward the beginning of the opera in which the unnamed governess is settling into her new teaching position, and her observation of how beautiful the setting is is interrupted by a strange feeling that something is watching her This is a live performance from New York City Opera in the early spring of 1970 and singing the governess we hear the matchless Marilyn Niska. I am going to be featuring singers today who may be popping up in future episodes, or maybe have been heard in previous episodes. Keep that in mind as we move on to the next creepy excerpt. That is from Giancarlo Menotti's opera The Medium, which was first performed on Broadway in the year 1948. I spoke quite a bit about Menotti when I did an episode this past summer on Patricia Newway, who created Roles in two of his operas. This opera was the first of his monumental successes, The Medium, and it deals with a quack named Madame Flora, real name Baba, who has been deceiving clients who come to speak to their dear departed loved ones. At the end of this shortish opera, Madame Flora is losing her mind, and she is convinced that the ghosts that she has. Been pretending to conjure are actually real. This is from the first studio recording of the opera, which was made in 1949, shortly after the Broadway premiere. The well-named Marie Powers, a powerhouse of a singing actor, portrays Baba.
2: dreaming as they were Oh my
0: ask what Madame Flora is afraid of, I propose that she would be afraid of this next excerpt, which is from such a quintessentially German phenomenon. It's called Faust die Rockoper, and yes, David and I did see a production of this (laughs) piece, and it took place in Auerbach's Keller in Leipzig, the actual scene in which the tavern scene in Goethe's Faust is set. It was a a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I say that because I have no need to ever relive it. But you, my dear listeners, get to experience 60 seconds of the first appearance of Mephistopheles, who is a bellowing heavy metal rocker, who has made a career of portraying Mephistopheles.
3: Ich bin der Geist, der stets verneint. Und das mit Rechten alles, was entsteht, ist wert, dass es zugrunde geht. Ich bin der Geist, der stets verneint. Ein Teil von jener Kraft, die stets das Böse will und stets das Gut. das Nichts entstünde, so ist denn alles, was ihr
4: sünde. Zerstörung, kurz das Böse nennen.
0: Now we're going to hear several different demonic representations. Interesting that composers creating music in which the devil features assign him to various voice types. Of course, the most famous of these Mephistos, the operas by Gounod and by Boito, feature... Mephistopheles as a bass baritone, and this first example that we are going to hear also presents The Devil as a bass baritone. This is from Stravinsky, Auden, and Kalman's The Rake's Progress, and in this recording, the first studio recording the work received in the year 1953, Igor Stravinsky conducts the cast which sang in the Metropolitan Opera premiere that year. As Nick Shadow, The Devil, we hear Mac Harrell the phenomenal American baritone slash bass baritone, who I believe is receiving his first airing on countermelody with this excerpt. As Tom Raquel, we hear the American tenor Eugene Conley. This is the scene in which Nick Shadow comes to collect his payment from Tom Raquel for years of service that he has performed. And what is that payment? But of course, the soul of the man that he has been serving. He takes pity, quote unquote, Quote, on poor Tom, and offers to give him the option to save himself through a game of cards. We're going to hear the last part of that scene, in which Tom has to guess the third card. Nick Shadow has snuck the Queen of Hearts back into the deck, but when Tom sees a vision of his beloved and true love, here portrayed by the Viennese soprano Hildegüden, he once again guesses the Queen of Hearts and dupes Nick Shadow, who responds with a rageful arioso called I Burn, I Burn, I Freeze, after which he renders Tom Raquel insane.
3: Now, in his- back to crop the spring's return, Eaten and love the banished Fused, wretched man cannot now repair.
0: In this next excerpt, the devil is portrayed by a high tenor. This is Ferruccio Busoni's fascinating opera called Dr. Faust, which at the time of his death in 1924 was incomplete. It was finished by his student Philippe Jarnach and premiered in 1925 in Dresden. The composer himself wrote the libretto, which is based in part upon Goethe, but also more widely upon the Faust legend. This piece has always remained on the very outer edges of the standard repertoire. It's not really a standard repertoire piece, but it has been produced, for instance, at the Met and occasionally in other venues, frequently in concert performance. And it is a live 1964 concert performance that took place at Carnegie Hall that we are going to hear right now. This is a rousing scene from the second tableau, which takes place in a tavern in Wittenberg. I always tell you that I'm going to be featuring one of my favorite singers while I decided not to do that today. Instead, I'm going to present one of your favorite singers, who happens also to be one of mine, that is the phenomenal African-American tenor George Shirley, who not only was such a gorgeous singer, but was a pathbreaker in so many important ways. He sang the role of Mephistopheles in a concert performance at Carnegie Hall in December 19 In which the American Opera Society Orchestra was conducted by Jascha Horenstein. And we are going to hear right now, Lasst euch nicht stören. Next, I have something very, very special to offer you. That is an excerpt from an opera called Der Schmied von Ghent, The Blacksmith of Ghent, by the Austrian composer Franz Schrecker. He lived from 1878 through 1934, and in his day, his operas were performed with more frequency and were more popular than the operas of Richard Strauss. Of course, he ran afoul of the Nazis, and and found his work banned and boycotted. In fact, Der Schmied von Gent was the last opera of his that received a premiere during his lifetime. That took place in Berlin in 1932. The right-wing demonstrations were so vociferous that a premiere of a further Schreker opera in Freiburg was cancelled. Schrecker died before the full horror of the Nazi regime came into being, but he certainly suffered a great deal under them. Der Schmied von Ghent is called a grand magical opera by its composer, and the story centers around a blacksmith named Smee, who lives and works in Ghent during the Eighty Years' War, when Flanders was suffering under the rule of the Spanish. Smee, who is quite vocal in his loathing of the Spaniards, finds himself denounced by a rival and deprived of his livelihood and business. He is about to drown himself when When voices call to him, offering him seven years of wealth and prosperity, if he will offer in exchange his mortal soul. He agrees and finds himself rich beyond his wildest dreams. Seven years pass, and the debt is about to come due. A man and a woman with a baby come into town, and Sme offers to reattach the horseshoe of their donkey. The family turns out to be the holy family, Joseph, Mary, and the baby Jesus. They offer him three wishes, which he uses when the three spokespersons from Lucifer come to drag Smé off to hell. First, the executioner comes, then the Duke of Alba, and finally, Satan's mistress, Astarte. It's this scene that we're going to hear in a video of a recent production of the opera that was done in Antwerp. You know, I don't play present-day singers very frequently. And part of that is because I'm very fussy and critical sometimes about the level of singing that goes on in the major opera houses these days. So I'm very happy to tell you that the baritone who portrays Smee and the soprano who portrays Astarte in this scene are both so phenomenal. The baritone is the British Lee Melrose, and Astarte is the South African soprano Vuvu empo this was a video that was released in 2020, just as the pandemic was hitting the record stores, shall we say.
5: is to get home. There is no time there is, 20 people and more, have to keep
0: and demonic possessions. First, an opera by Serge Prokofiev called The Fiery Angel. The opera is based on a novel of the same title by the Russian poet, dramatist, and novelist Valery Bryuzov. Prokofiev completed the opera in 1927, but it did not receive a complete performance until after his death, in a concert performance in French that took place in Paris in the year 1954. I've actually read the novel. It's quite lurid, shall we say. It concerns two primary characters, a strange young woman named Renata and a knight-errant named Ruprecht. Renata has been visited since childhood by a fiery angel who always encouraged her to perform good deeds, but finally, at the age of 17, she asked to consummate the relationship. At this request, the angel burst into flames but agreed to return to her in human form. She is on an ongoing search to find this angel whom she is convinced has returned to earth. When she encounters Ruprecht at an inn, she begs him to help her on her search. Renata is convinced that the angel has taken human form in the person of Count Heinrich von Otterheim and she has been stalking him. Ruprecht and Renata cast a spell to bring Otterheim to Renata. We're going to hear the scene in which they hear movement on the stairs outside their room and are convinced that it is the fiery angel in the person of Otterheim, who has responded to the demonic summons. But alas, it is not. In this recording, we hear the original world premiere cast in a recording that was made in 1957, subsequent to the first performance. In the role of Renata, we hear the French mezzo-slash-soprano Jane Rhodes, who has been featured numerous times on the podcast. And as Ruprecht, we hear the French bass-baritone- Xavier Dupraz, and Charles Bruck conducts the orchestra of the Opéra de Paris.
1: Ennemi
5: ou ami, si tu es un ami, réponds-moi.
2: De le connaître, mon préchère me me
5: som du har
0: Angel ends in a convent where Renata has gone to escape the temptations of her fiery angel, but the leaders of the convent accuse her of demonic possession, and the opera ends with her being condemned by the Spanish Inquisitor to be burned at the stake. There is another opera that also concerns itself with the demonic possession of nuns, and that is Krzysztof Penderecki's nineteen sixty nine opera Die Teufel from Loudun, The Devils of Loudun, based on a dramatized version of a non-fiction novel by Aldous Huxley about a demonic possession of a convent of Ursuline nuns that occurred in real life in the 17th century in the small French town of Loudun. The nuns accused a priest named Urbain Grandier of seducing them and of being in league with the devil. The mother superior of the convent, Sister Jeanne, was his primary accuser. Die Teufel von Ludin premiered in Hamburg in 1969 and featured a powerhouse performance by the mezzo soprano Tatiana Traianos in the role of Sister Jeanne. The production had a lot of sex, a lot of nudity, a lot of shock value. I think it's an incredibly powerful piece. It was written in the jagged style that Penderecki used in his work through the Mid 1970s, when his compositions became more consonant. A recording of that original production was released in 1970, and we're going to hear the top of the second act, where three priests, Father Barret, Father Rangier, and Father Mignon, perform an exorcism on Sister Jeanne. As the priests, we hear the Polish bass Bernard Wadish, the German bass Hans Sotin, and the German tenor Horst Wilhelm and Marek Janowski the orchestra of the Staatsoper Hamburg
1: Exorcizote immundissimi spiritus omnes incurser adversare omni fantasma, omni maligno in nome domini nostro gesu christi eradicare ed efutare ab omni today.
2: Entschuldigt mich! Exis,
1: Herr Doktor!
2: Bedauere, ich muss euch unterbrechen! Mut! Das ist, es ist ein Wort! Ich schreibe eine heilige Tolerie! Lateinische, eine fremde Sprache!
1: Da sprechen wir
2: über das geschlechtliche Treiben der Priester! Nein,
1: keineswegs! Es ist
2: wahr, dass sie. This wesen of spirit! Weigweib, du unterbrichst eine theologische Diskussion. Filter, helft mir!
1: Mein liebes Kind, ich tue, was ich kann. Er scheint im Augenblick tief im Unterkleid zu stecken. Sintadat, Manureda, sie warten, sie so. Sich fertig machen und weit das Wasser. Liebe Schwester in Christo, ich muss euch weiterhin befragen.
4: Ja, Vater,
1: entsinnt ihr euch? Wann sie eure Gedanken zum ersten Mal die bösen Wesen dienen zu wandeln?
3: Dann sagt
1: es uns.
5: springt.
2: Es war
4: Nacht, kein Tag
2: mehr. Ja? Ah. Er kam zu mir. Den scheinen haben. Nein, nein! Sechs seine Kreaturen waren bei ihm. Und dann er nahm mich sanft in seine Arme und trug mich in die Kapelle. Jeder seine Kreaturin nahm eine meiner geliebten Schwestern.
5: Weiter, weiter! Und was geschah?
2: <lacht> die Kapelle war voller Lachen und Musik. Es gab Essen. Gewürztes Fleisch und Wein und schöne
0: Vision
5: der
2: Hölle.
4: spricht weiter.
2: Ich vergaß. Wir waren prächtig gekleidet. Und dann, als ich nackt war, fiel ich auf die Dornen. Der Boden war mit Dornen bestreit. Ich fiel auf die Dornen. Kommt her!
1: mit ihren Leibern einen obszenen Altar zu bilden, an dem dann eine Andacht verrichtet wurde.
4: Noch einmal!
1: Sie sagt, Dämonen leistete Grandier Handlang gedischt und ihre geliebten Schwestern versetzten sie in Erregung.
4: Meine
1: Herren, Ihr versteht, wie ich das meine!
2: Und so vertrieben wir Gott aus seinem Hause. Befreit von ihm feigen wir seine Flucht wieder und immer wieder und immer wieder und immer wieder für eine, die erfahren hat, was ich erfahren habe.
0: For me, the work that takes the musical prize this week is the one that, in fact, inspired this episode. It is Ottorino Respighi's last opera, La Fiamma, premiered in Rome in January 1934. Respighi had been looking for an opera subject that was set in Byzantium. For those of you who know a little bit about Respighi beyond the Roman trilogy, you might know that he was fascinated with with musical modes, Phrygian, Mixolydian, etc. And in this, he was inspired by his wife Elsa, who was a composer as well, and a former student of his. Someone suggested to Respighi that he might find a suitable subject for operatic treatment in the Norwegian drama Anna Daughter, The Witch, by the writer Hans Vias Jensen. If any of you know the work Work of the Danish film director Carl Theodor Dreyer, whose most famous film, by the way, is The Passion of Joan of Arc. You might also know his film called Day of Wrath, from 1943. This has, as its source material, the same Norwegian play. This is about a woman whose own mother was accused of witchcraft, and who marries an older minister, only to fall in love with his son, that is, her stepson was intrigued by the subject matter and merely asked his librettist Claudio Guastalla to move the action to 7th century Byzantium. This opera is an absolute positive, stark, raving masterpiece and occasionally receives productions. In 1989, it was produced at the Liceu for Montserrat Caballé, and in 1997, it was produced in Rome, where it had premiered, for the Romanian soprano Nelli Miri I'm going to play a 1955 radio recording from Milano that features a soprano named Mara Koleva, born in Bulgaria, who sang all the big, dramatic soprano repertoire in the 1950s, only to prematurely abandon her career for marriage in the late 50s. She sings the role of Silvana, the young woman who falls in love with her stepson and ends up being denounced and put to death as a witch. At the beginning of the second act, she has an encounter with one of her young maids-in-waiting who has been carrying on a flirtation with that very son-in-law with whom Silvana has become obsessed. This young lady-in-waiting's name is Monica, and she is portrayed in this 1955 recording by the very young Anna Moffold. I'm in the midst of my Anamofo episode preparation, and in fact, it was in preparing for that episode that I discovered this recording. So we're going to hear this moment between the two women, Silvana and Monica, at the end of which Silvana banishes her young charge to a convent. Let's just hope it wasn't a convent like the one that Renata ended up in, or the one that was overseen by Penderecki and Huxley's sisters. John. To wind up today's Haunted episode, we're going to hear a brief excerpt John Gian Corigliano's opera The Ghosts of Versailles, which was set to a libretto by William M. Hoffman and premiered at the Metropolitan Opera in the 1991-92 season. This opera has had legs to a certain extent, having been revived twice at the Met and performed at Lyric Opera of Chicago, St. Louis, Wexford, Los Angeles. Wolf Trap, and Glimmerglass. The opera is set in the court of Versailles in the afterlife. The ghost of Beaumarchais stages a play for the ghost of Marie Antoinette, who is still tortured over the memory of having been beheaded. In the second act, Marie Antoinette relives that scene in which she was dragged through the streets and put to death. We're going to hear the phenomenal Teresa Stratas in the soundtrack of the telecast that was first seen in 1992. My dear friends, keep the song in your hearts and beware of ghosts, I'm Daniel Gundlach.